0: Hey there, everyone, and welcome into Season 2 of Final Whistle. As always, I'm your host, Blaine Spencer. I'm pleased to announce that we're going to be trying to go two times a week now, starting on Tuesdays and Fridays. So this is Episode 1 of Season 2 this week, and we're going to start off by talking about the Eagles and Giants that took place last night, as well as Games 3 of the World Series, a little preview and recap of the first two games And lastly, my final segment will be called Lock It In, which will be my three locks for college football and my three locks for the NFL that are happening this week. So once again, welcome into Final Whistle. First off, we want to look at what happened this last night where the Philadelphia Eagles rallied from a 21-10 deficit to end up taking down the New York Giants 22-21. Carson Wentz went 25-43 of for 359 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. What I took out from this game was the NFC East is really bad, and you could definitely see how all four teams are really evenly matched, especially with last week the Giants barely beating out Washington with Washington going for two. Uh, to try and win the game at the end there. The Eagles squeaking by this week with a late comeback with two touchdowns in the final four and a half minutes in order to succumb to come out victorious. What I'm seeing is that the Philadelphia Eagles, they have the best player in the division. That's Carson Wentz. Yes, he is showing major inconsistency at the moment, which leads to the Philadelphia Eagles leading the division at 2-4-1. Let me say that again, 2-4-1. and one. However, he has so much arm talent. You can see the toughness that he tries to play, and honestly, we couldn't tell you who the Eagles are playing with from a, on a week-to-week basis. Travis Fulglum. Deshaun Jackson was able to play this week, but he ended up getting hurt late in the game. Who knows other than Jason Kelsey on that offensive line will play? But the but the grit and athletic ability and talent that Carson Wentz is able to display shows that he that he has the ability to be a premier quarterback in this league. But he just has so many mental errors throughout the game. At one point in the game he made a he ran all the way across the field and then threw it all the way back across his body to try and make a play. It easily should have been intercepted throwing it into two or three defenders but his wide receiver was able to knock the ball down. later on in that drive he rolls out doesn't throw the ball away. The play is completely dead. he just throws up a jump ball to his receiver. Overthrows him into four giants, where it's intercepted for a touchback. But we all know that the that the talent is there. The two drives he put on at the end of the game, that Boston Scott throw to went to take the lead with forty seconds to go, unreal. A very few quarterbacks can make a place a throw like that in perfect defensive coverage over and put it in the running back's hands. So he, it's there. You, you need to be able to make those plays in the critical components of the game, which is crucial for a quarterback, which he does. But he also has so many mental lapses throughout the game, and you're just like, why? He has all the talent in in the world, but he just goes through so many mental errors with boneheaded plays throughout, taking unnecessary sacks, throwing it, trying to make a hero play every time he takes takes a snap as for the giants all you can say is that there we don't know what we're doing here i would i would probably try and get into the trevor lawrence sweepstakes if i were them but they had that game won yesterday if evan ingram actually fully extends his arms on that third down at the end of the game he short arms it drops the ball goes off his fingertips leads to Carson Wentz scoring that go-ahead touchdown with 40 seconds to go. I liked what I saw from Daniel Jones yesterday. I mean, he did struggle 20 of 30, 187 yards. He did have two touchdowns, but he did have one INT where he threw the ball too hard on a slant pass and was tipped up and picked off by Jalen Mills. He also had four carries for 92 yards. That is going to be an element of what the Giants' offense is now without Saquon Barkley. Jones is going to have to do it with his legs. He's going to have to be extremely successful in that too in order just to keep his team in games. The return of Sterling Shepard was massive for them yesterday. He had six catches, 59 yards, and a touch score. So the Giants are there, but if I'm... Especially both teams in New York, I don't even want to get started about the New York Jets who are probably one of the worst teams I've seen since the Owen 16 Lions. But I honestly I would take those 16 Lions over the Jets. That'll be a topic for another day. But uh, the Giants they you need to make those winning plays and you can just see it under the new head coach Joe Judge. They've bought into the they bought into the scheme, they bought into his philosophy. You can see that they're playing hard and that they will play hard for him. But they just can't get over the hump to make those critical plays at the end of the game. Last week where they won, Washington fumbled the ball at the end where it went for a scoop and score. That was literally on Kyle Allen that like, let New York come away with the win, and they almost still lost with Washington going for two at the end. So definitely a necessary potential that New York needs to take a look in the mirror. Do they want to continue to play this way or they get – Play hard and try to win games and try and somehow squeak away in this division where probably five and eleven might actually win it. More more realistically, it'll probably be a six and ten or a seven and nine. But hypothetically, five and eleven can win this division. So it's completely up in the air. None of these four teams will have a realistic chance of winning a playoff game, but. The opportunity is there, so New York has to decide on that. Philadelphia, they need to. You know it for them. It's normally Super Bowl or bus in this town, in that town after winning the Super Bowl in 2017 behind the miracle that is Nick Foles. So it's definitely gut check time for them to start r- po- rallying off some wins, especially with on their schedule. They have the Cowboys up next week. On Sunday Night Football, then they're on their bye. They get the Giants again, so these are two games that if they want to win the division, they got to come out victorious. And then you have after that, they have a a, a very difficult stretch where you go Browns, Seahawks, Packers, Saints, and even at the Cardinals. So they they've gotta they've gotta start rallying off some victories very quickly here to, in order for them to be successful. So, again, wide open division. We'll see how it plays out. I think the Eagles are definitely the front runner, especially with the Dak Prescott injury and how awful the Cowboys have looked on defense, on pace of being the worst defense potentially in NFL history. So, Eagles will have to do what they do, Giants have to make a decision. Dave Gettleman should be fired. He's just been an awful GM for them. And it might be just a start to see if you can just try and get Trevor Lawrence. He is a, in my opinion from what I've seen, a home run. A home run. Best QB prospect coming out since Andrew Luck. And I think he has the potential of being a lot better than Andrew Luck was. And he Andrew Luck was a solid football NFL Pro Bowl player for the Indianapolis Colts. So... We'll see how this plays out again for the NFC East. You have the Eagles leading the division, <laughs> unbelievably at two four and one. So we're going to transition now over to the World Series, where Game Three is tonight, eight oh eight first Eastern Time first pitch with the Dodgers and Rays series tied one game apiece. We had the Dodgers blow out the Rays in Game One, winning eight to three, where the Bats were clicking, and they were able to really dominate. Mookie Betts was incredible with a home run, two stolen bases, making defensive plays, as well as with a tremendous start from Clayton Kershaw on the hill going six innings, two hits, one run. One run was that home run before getting yanked on 80 pitches. I think that was honestly a great decision by L.A. to take him out there. Most of his runs are accumulated where he ends up giving up runs in the later innings, usually seventh inning on. He's usually solid for the first two, three times through the bat, through the lineup in his playoff starts. It's those late innings that usually get to him where he struggles. And in game two, all you can say again, it was this time it was the Rays pitching that made those critical plays at the end. You had... Blake Snell go roughly four and two-thirds. He could have stayed out there and went a fifth, but he only went 88 pitches. Then you had Anderson come on in relief, go an inning in and in a third. Then you had Fairbanks come in. They brought in everybody, especially with that day off yesterday. They brought in their, their, their premier relief pitchers to close out The Dodgers, and then the Dodgers made that late push, putting up one in the eighth. They had a runner on second. You thought, oh boy, here we go. But those Tampa Bay relievers made those critical pitches to shut down relatively that Dodgers high potent offense. As for game three, we have a pitchers matchup for you tonight with Charlie Morton on the hill for the Rays as well as Walker Bueller for the Dodgers. And throughout these playoffs, these two have clearly been these two teams aces. Charlie Morton has been nothing short of lights out this postseason. With a three going three and 15 and a two thirds pitching, seventeen K's. His ERA is under one this postseason. He's been extremely sharp. And those three wins were against Houston twice as well as the Yankees. So he was beating the best. As for Bueller, he's 1-0. His ERA is just under 2. He's also been relatively strong for his club being able to produce when they need it. He's been very solid, and that fastball is nothing short of electric. You're going to see a contingency here tonight with the breaking balls of Morton against the fastball of Bueller. So it's going to be very interesting to see. The Dodgers have struggled on breaking pitches, what they which what they showcased in Game Two, that they were struggling to hit the the breaking pitch, and Charlie Morton has probably one of the best. Breaking ball arsenals in Major League Baseball, and then Bueller, he's got great stuff too. But it's all dependent on his fastball. He dares you to try and hit it. Hit his fastball. He will. He will challenge hitters, and he's saying you can't beat me. And my best pitch is my fastball, and you can't hit it. So it'll be a very unique circumstance tonight. My I don't know what it's going to showcase here, but I think a critical component for the Rays, especially, was Brandon Lau coming out of that slump with two home runs in in Game Two, which was helping him. And he where he was extremely struggling, going roughly one for his last eight before last night, and he was hitting under two hundred throughout this postseason. And for the Dodgers, it's it's through Mookie Betts and Corey Seager, who have been the two main bats for this club. Cody Bellinger has been starting to come on of late, especially in the Game 7 of the NLCS, and then also having some big hits in the Game 1 of the World Series. But it's all going to come down to... Corey Seager and Mookie Betts for the Dodgers. Those two are Seager's hitting solid this year. He hit 307 in the regular season. Now he's he's played v- very well the last 7 days going roughly 6 of 18. Excuse me, 6 of 20 from the plate. With two walks, four RBIs, two home runs. He's been very hot. And then, of course, Mookie Betts is one of the best players in baseball. I would probably put him right behind Mike Trout as one of the best outfielders and players in general in baseball. So it's going to revolve around them. If I had to give a little prediction for tonight, very low-scoring game. It'll be a pitcher's duel. Uh, I want to go here. I'm gonna actually take the surprise and take the Rays in Game Three, especially with Morton just being pretty much unhittable at the moment. So I'm gonna take the Rays four to two here. Um, Dodgers are favorite at minus one forty five. I think this is the best game where you would take the Rays in an upset. So. I would take the Rays here. 4-2 to two is going to be my prediction of a score. And that's what I'm going to see. I think Morton's going to shut them down. He'll go probably six innings. And then you give it to those top-end relievers of Anderson, Castillo, Fairbanks. And hopefully they'll close it out for him. Now we're going to transition to my little final segment of the week. It's what I, uh, I'm i going to start calling Lock It In. So, again, we're going to be focusing here at my top three locks for college football on Saturday and then my top three locks for the NFL on this weekend as well. So let's take a look here. We're going to start off with college football this weekend. That starts Tomorrow. And let's see, let's go with my locks for this week. So my first lock is going to be Notre Dame minus 10 against Pitt. A lot of people are taking Pitt to cover this week, and as well as being a potential upset, Pittsburgh has been known to be one of those tricky teams for Notre Dame to break, as well as with Notre Dame struggling last week. Against Louisville where they could not throw the football whatsoever and only winning that game 12 to 7 and had to rely heavily on their defense. It was blustery conditions so that was my excuse for giving the Irish excuse me a pass there but uh, in order I think they're gonna that defense is only allowing 11 per game. Kenny Pickett is supposed to potentially return this week for the for the Panthers. He was uh, out last week in their 12 point loss to Miami. In Miami, it is in pit at Heinz Field, so you never know there you're gonna have probably some wind conditions. But I love these Notre Dame running backs, starting off with Kyron Williams, who's been an absolute beast for the irish already rushing for 486 yards four touchdowns averaging over six and a half yards a carry he has been a stud i think they're going to rely heavily on that run game that defense has been solid all year and i think they will be able to shut down this pit attack that has become a lot more of a passing attack than what we've been accustomed to seeing from the pit panthers so i'm going to take notre dame here I think this is going to be my first lock. So, I think they're going to win by two scores. I'm going to take the Irish 27 to 13. Next, we're going to transition to my next lock. Let's take I'm going to take Minnesota plus 3 against Michigan. So, the Gophers 21th in the country they're hosting game day th- tomorrow i think that's going to be a huge impact for these guys especially for that row the boat mentality that comes out in minnesota you're, you're going against a michigan team that they've already lost one of their top wide receivers as well as they have just been so bad in these big games that they must win they have struggled immensely and i can just go back to last year being blown out by alabama and ohio state where minnesota was electric and being one of the best offenses and one of the surprise teams to watch beating penn state last year should have beat iowa they lost to them at the end beating number 12 auburn his team has some horses and I think the biggest component of this is the return of Rashad Bateman for the Gophers. Him coming back, he's going to have some motivation after especially opting out to start the year, especially with all the uncertainties with the Big Ten and then their postponement or to the spring or to later on in the year, then coming back. And this is the first game for both teams. Michigan had a quarterback competition going on late into the late into September until they made the decision. So I, I I'm taking PJ Fleck and the Gophers plus three. They're at home here as well. I think that's going to be a big proponent, and I think this might be the Minnesota's chance to make. I know last year they were a little bit of a, uh unsung heroes and went unnoticed especially for the most of the season but I think this is a year for them to be extremely successful and have a really good chance at that of getting into the Big 10 championship so I'm taking Minnesota here plus 3 I'm actually going to take them outright as well I like the gophers here 28 to 24 Lastly my final lock For this week is I'm gonna take Oklahoma minus six and a half at TCU. I think for the Sooners, they're very young, but they're very young, extremely talented with the quarterback Spencer Rattler, as well as TCU has a solid quarterback of their own and Max Duggan, who helped them pull off an upset. At Texas, but Oklahoma coming off of that win in the Red River rivalry, I think it's going to be a big proponent for them to build on that momentum that they had. And I think I think Oklahoma could pull away here, and I think they're going to win relatively soundly. It is the spread here is minus 6.5. I think the Sooners are going to be a huge uh, – come in very – very locked in, very motivated, focused. They still have a potential shot at, at the Big 12 championship if they win out. So I like the Sooners here. I'm going to take the Sooners 38-30. Uh, to 30. So those are my three locks for college football. So go out there, lock them in. Those are my three locks. Again, I have Notre Dame minus 10 as well as taking Minnesota plus three and then Oklahoma minus six and a half. Now we're going to transition over to the NFL for my three locks in the NFL this week. So let's take a look here. I want, I don't like I love here Cleveland minus two and a half. And I would get on this right now, especially with the Bengals just announcing that Joe Mixon is out this Sunday. So, I expect the Browns to win. Honestly, re- relatively convincingly. I think they're going to win by probably a touchdown to maybe 10 from roughly 7 to 10 points. I think this is a huge must-win game for Cleveland. They they struggled against Cincinnati in their first matchup and they just took they've taken absolute thrashings against the two teams in the AFC North with Baltimore in week 1 38 to 6 and then last week losing 38 to 7 to Pittsburgh. But you cannot count out these this, bang, this young Bengals squad, especially behind Mr. Joe Burrow himself, Mr. LSU. And again, Cleveland only beat them in week 2 35 to 30. So I think this is an important matchup for the Browns to pull a win here. And I think this spread is extremely low, so I love Cleveland here at minus two at minus two and a half. Again, so critical component for the Browns to win this game. Manage Baker Mayfield; he has been a very much of a quarterback. If he throws too many times, he starts to make too many critical errors and errant throws, and starts turning the ball over. They got to get Odell Beckham involved. These he's only averaging roughly four to five targets a game, which should not be happening. But I understand that you don't want to put too much pressure into Baker's hands. But he, they need to get him some touches, some different ways, like they did in their victory over the Cowboys. Reverses, maybe even having him throw a pass, potentially like how Jarvis Landry did. I think those two players need to get some at least seven or eight touches on for both of them. And they will be extremely successful again. So I'm taking Cleveland here. I like the Browns to win 27 to 20. So my second lock for the NFL this weekend. I'm taking the Buffalo Bills minus 11 and a half against the New York Jets. Well, Buffalo's coming off back-to-back losses after both games were on sh- short weeks. Again, they're gonna. Here they're going to be on another short week after playing on Monday night, Monday afternoon or Monday night, depending on where you were living. They got took an absolute beating the week before on that Tuesday night game to, from Tennessee, losing forty two to sixteen, and as well as then losing on Monday night to Kansas City, twenty six to seventeen. And you can't uh, write off the Bills after these two losses, especially with them losing to pro two of the best. In my opinion, uh, t- the top two teams probably in football right now, arguably. Tennessee's undefeated. Kansas City's only lost once. And you can never doubt what Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid can do, especially on the offensive side of the ball. But you can... I have to say this, Josh Allen has struggled in his last two starts after being red hot and being in that mVP conversation, so he needs to be locked in this week. I know it's gonna be potential a potential letdown for them, especially with playing the Jets, but I think they're gonna have to make a statement here in their division uh towards with Miami a game behind and then New England still there you can never count out bill Belichick and his patriots and this is the buffalo's best chance in a long time to try and win this division and i actually picked them to win the division here so i need them to start uh rallying and i think they are they're going to make have a statement against the jets yes sam donald is going to return but these guys have just been atrocious i can't even get started like Miami blew them out last week. They have they have not been a competitive football team, and I, Buffalo is a potential a – pot, I'm not going to say a contender yet, but they are a potential dark horse to make a run at the AFC Championship if they can get everything clicking, especially on defense, and I think playing the Jets this week will definitely help. So I'm taking Buffalo here. I think they're going to win by at least two scores, maybe even more. This game could get really ugly. I'm taking the Buffalo Bills 31-14, to 14, and that will be my second lock. As the Bills are favored minus 11.5, I think they'll easily win by 14 points. and It could potentially be a lot worse than the 17 points that I'm predicting. And then my final lock for week three, I am taking... Hold on here. I'm trying to pull it up. I am taking the Detroit Lions plus two and a half versus the Atlanta Falcons. I think this is a huge game for Detroit if they want to maintain any chance of being able to have a outside chance of stealing a wild card spot. They're two and three at the moment. Yes, the game is in Atlanta. Atlanta is coming off of their first victory last week, beating Minnesota but I think this Detroit team could easily be potentially at four and one if they if DeAndre Swift catches a pass against Chicago in week one, as well as they've been very competitive. So I like Detroit here plus two and a half. Matthew Stafford. Expect him to have a big day against these this struggling Atlanta defense. And I just don't know what I'm gonna get out of Atlanta, to be honest. They just find ways to lose. Like honestly, last week once they were up 20 to 20 to nothing, I still thought they had a realistic chance of losing and that's just what the Atlanta Falcons have become unfortunately, being a team that can potentially just lose at any moment. But look at this. I'm going to look at Detroit's schedule. They beat the Detro- uh Jacksonville last week handily on the road they should have beaten new orleans if they didn't give up make a late critical uh turnover and then drew Brees going down the field to beat them they beat a very good and -and up-and-coming cardinals team and then again they should have beat chicago in week one this team could easily be four and one at the moment right now they're two and three they still have a outside chance of making a push for that Now seventh wildcard spot. Hard for me to say that now there are seven teams, seven spots for each uh, uh, for the NFC and the AFC to make the playoffs. Atlanta, they did show some strides being able to get off over that hump of finally winning a game. But I just I just don't trust that. Trust them. They've been way too inconsistent. They've blowing too many leads, blowing the Dallas lead, blowing the Chicago lead. Uh, blowing another lead against Carolina. This is a team that easily could be very good as well, but I think they've just lost mot- all motivation. The firing of Dan Quinn has made a has made that a- apparent. They gave up on Quinn, and then which led ultimately to his firing. And now the Atlanta Falcons are basically cleaning house there and a rebuild, potentially with Matt Ryan on the trading block as well as potentially Julio Jones. And I think this is a huge must-win game for Matt Patricia. He is on the hot seat currently as well, especially with how they've struggled in the couple seasons he's been at the helm after them being very competitive and having outside chances to make the playoffs under Coach Caldwell. So I'm taking Detroit here, plus 2.5. I think they're actually going to win outright. I'm going to take the Lions here, 28-20. to 20. So, last, so let's go through it again. My three locks for the NFL. I love Detroit, plus two and a half. I think they will actually win outright. I love the Bills, minus 11 and a half against the Jets. And the Jets, I don't even know what they're going to throw out there. That could be a – it's going to be a varsity versus JV game, to be honest. And then I, ha- I love Cleveland, plus two – minus – excuse me, minus two and a half against Cincinnati, especially with – this, and that that spread will rise, so I would get on that one real quick, especially with the announcement of Joe Mixon being out. So I want to thank everyone for listening today. This was my first episode of Season 2 of Final Whistle. Uh, look out for me on Tuesday. That's going to be when I'm going to be recapping the NFL and hopefully going more in-depth about what's happening in the World Series and more. So thanks for listening. I'm your host, as always, Blaine Spencer. Have a good day, everyone. Enjoy your weekend. And it's a football and baseball weekend in October. It's nothing like it. Good night.